Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So silence is a rare thing, isn't it? How often do you just sit in silence without any screen or book or anything around you, nothing. You just sit in silence without any distraction at all. And when you do that, how comfortable are you just with your own thoughts or uh, what is going on in your mind? How, how comfortable does it feel just to be able to do that? We had a holiday in Scotland a few years ago where, I mean, it was 40 minutes to drive to a corner shop. It was that kind of that desolate, which for us, that was not cool. And phones barely worked. The TV... Uh, well, it wasn't widescreen, it was only, it was like a square, like, and then it was deep as well. Was, the kids walked in and were like, what is that? Uh, it was in the middle of nowhere, and uh, you just couldn't get anything. There was no buzz of the city. So in my house, uh, in Burnage, um, sometimes in the summer, I've got the fire going in the back garden, I will just sit out there and you can listen to the buzz of the city, or, or, which sometimes is brilliant, although two nights ago, the buzz of the city was fireworks at three in the morning for who knows why. Um, but sitting there in, in Scotland in the absolute silence, actually, you're like, God, this is, this is quite hard work. But silence is really, really useful. Silence is very, very revealing. Actually, when you sit in silence with no distraction, it kind of reveals where your thoughts go, doesn't it? One I mean, of the first places it goes to, your hopes and your dreams, perhaps your anxieties, maybe the mundane stuff, uh, it reveals what's important to us. And silence often means just waiting as well, doesn't it? Sometimes it just is waiting for the silence to break, for it to, to end. So I had a tooth out a few weeks ago, which I'm going to talk about and refer to in sermons for a long time. Um, but I had it, and I was in a lot of pain, and I knew I had to wait for the dentist to call me to book the appointment to take it out. So there was, I knew that they were going to call, but it took them two days to call. That was two days of my phone just sitting there being absolutely silent. But I was waiting for the silence to end. And today, we're going to think about that because we find Israel in a moment of silence, actually. Silence of God, which is the loudest silence, if that makes sense. They had heard nothing from God, actually, for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. No prophets, no psalms written, no pillar of cloud or fire to follow, nothing at all. They were existing in the silence of God's. They'd been taken into exile in Babylon. They had uh, returned, partially at least. They'd begun to rebuild their nation. The temple had been rebuilt. Their Jerusalem was being rebuilt. The, the cities and towns. But they didn't have any of the autonomy that they used to have. None of the greatness or glory of King David's reign or Solomon's reign. Uh, people didn't travel from Israel just to look at, from outside of Israel, just to look at how amazing the place was anymore. They were a, a backwater in the Roman Empire. And the relationship that they had with God, like Moses had or Elijah had, those sorts of things were a, were a very faint and distant memory as well. And we find them at the moment where the silence is about to be broken. It's a fascinating thing. So I'm going to work my way through a story in Luke, and it will appear up behind me as we do that. But if you want to follow, we'll start in Luke 1, chapter 5. And it said, In the days of Herod, who was the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. 
And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord's. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew silence. Okay? They knew the, the silence of God because he was a priest. They understood that actually God had not spoken for hundreds of years. And his wife as well, she came from a family of priests, so she knew the same. It was kind of in their family. They knew that actually we're the priests, we go and intervene for, between God and the people, but we know God ain't talking at the moment. That's what they knew. But they knew the silence of God in their own lives as well. They couldn't have kids. Their house was the quietest house on the street. Theirs was not filled with the noise of toddlers running around or teenagers shouting at each other or any of these things. Theirs was the quiet house, the silent house. And they would also have known the silence that happens when you walk into a room and there's a group of people talking and then they go quiet and you realise they've been talking about you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of that sort of silence, but they would have known that often. And they would have known the silence of unanswered prayer. A lifetime of them, actually, of praying, God, give us kids, and it not happening. And Luke says, actually, how did they deal with this? Well, they were righteous and walked blamelessly. That's what they did. In their silence, they were obedient to God and they trusted God. And perhaps you know something of silence yourself, something that you are desperate to hear from God's on an answer that you need. Maybe the silence of an illness that you just, you're not recovered from. The silence perhaps of an unfulfilled promise, silence of a, a hope that hasn't come true. And perhaps in that silence you are just waiting and you're patient. Perhaps in that silence, actually, you know the anguish of the unresolved staying unresolved. So Luke is telling us this story of actually how silence is broken and how it's broken forever. You go to verse 8. It says, Now while he, that Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lots to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So Zechariah is on duty, okay, by, by lot, by seemingly at random. He is chosen to go into the holy place, it's called, to light incense, important part of their religious activity. And, and when he walked into the holy place, okay, maybe with some sort of fire to light this incense, he would have looked up and seen on one side of it a massive curtain, huge curtain. Okay, and behind this curtain is another room called the Most Holy Place. And the Most Holy Place is where God lives. That's how they understood it. That is where God's presence was. And in fact, in the original temple, um, they actually kept the Ark of the Covenant there. And the Ark of the Covenant contains the, the stone slabs which uh, God and Moses had written the Ten Commandments on. The law was written on those, kept in that Ark, kept in the Most 
holy place. Now, at this point in their history, the ark and the law are long gone. Nobody knows where it went. It disappears in one of the many times that Jerusalem was ransacked and destroyed. So it's thought at this time in history, when Zechariah is going uh, into the holy place, the most holy place is an empty room, okay? Big empty room. Uh, And actually, only the high priest goes in there. Zechariah is not the high priest, and only goes in that room once a year. So you walk into the most holy place, and there are curtains there, and those curtains are quite imposing. We think of imposing curtains. But you, you're deeply aware of what's next door, okay? very deeply aware of at least what should be next door. God is there. The presence of God is there, yet he's very, very quiet. So there, there's that sense of silence and perhaps separation in that moment. So Zechariah stood outside there, and outside the other room, outside away from him, so he's gone in, there are people there praying. It says there's a, a multitude of people there praying, which is an interesting detail Luke just kind of throws in. And really, Luke wants us to know, it's pretty simple actually, when people pray, they are heard by God. That's what he wants them to realise. As we read this story, that little detail is actually, you may feel like you're on the outside. You may feel like it's very quiet. You may feel like God is a few walls away from you and separated. You may feel like you're in the silence. But when we pray, and when we pray together, actually God hears us. And then the silence breaks, and silence breaking can be pretty shocking, can't it? If you're sitting in somewhere very, very quiet, and then the silence breaks, it can really be quite startling. And an angel of God is there, breaking hundreds of years of silence. And you can imagine it, actually. as Just as Luke tells his story, nothing is said. You can imagine Zechariah just catching this angel's eye, and then that's it. Just that silent moment of him realising, there's an angel there. Okay, that's a pretty unusual thing. And it says he's scared, and that's not surprising. I mean, you're not meant to meet angels. It doesn't happen very often at all. It happens a few times in the Old Testament. On occasion in the New Testament, it, it's not meant to be a normal thing. Okay? And Zechariah is expressing this. This is an unusual moment. Silence is breaking. This is meant to be a bit shocking. And the angel says, look, don't be afraid. Duh. Of course, I would be terrified. He was terrified. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. So the silence is broken. Now, the angel goes on to explain to Zechariah, who really is not saying much, is just stood there listening, if he can even take it in, uh, who this John kid is going to be. And he says, look, he, he will be a prophet like Elijah. Okay, and that's Premier League prophet. Okay, that's top end prophet. Um, Moses is considered the most important. Then people like Elijah and Samuel, these are guys are a very, very big deal. So saying your son is, is going to be like Elijah, your son will be one of the most important people in the history of God's people. That's who your kid will be. Right, flipping act. What is going on? And then he says, because of his ministry, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, many in Israel will come back to God. And also, and that's not the end of it, (laughs) he says, also, he will prepare the people to meet the Lord. All sorts of things going on now. Your son will be the most important, one of the most important people in the history of Israel. He will also help the people to meet the Messiah, the saviour of all Israel, to meet God. 
And to be fair to Zechariah, it's a lot to take in. Okay, it's a lot to take in. That is a lot going on in the moment. We should have sympathy with him. And Zechariah finally gets to speak back. And his question is, how am I going to know this for sure? <laughs> Apart from the angels stood there. How shall I know this? And he says, look, for I'm an old man and my wife, he's polite. He says, I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. He says, I'm old. My wife is old. And Zechariah actually reacts like many people have done before him and many people have done since. He reacts in fear and scepticism. That's his reaction. Even though there is an angel stood in front of him, the silence has ended. It's ended for himself. The, the, the thing that he's heard his whole life, the, the deafening silence, the absence of children, that has ended right in this moment. Also, silence has ended for the people of God as well. So much is happening and all he can do is reflect on his own inadequacies and his own limitations. He thinks his limitations limit God. It's a pretty human reaction, actually, if we're honest, isn't it? It is a pretty human reaction. Sometimes in our waiting, in our impatience, in our anguish, we focus in on ourselves, don't you? When things are going badly, you think, well, I, I've got to resolve this. I have to solve this situation. I am going to fix this. And perhaps when we can't hear from God, we get caught in our own limitations because we can't see what's possible for him. Very human reaction, Zechariah does at this moment. Looking at, I'm, I'm too old, my wife is too old. How is this possible, angel? And Zechariah doesn't believe the words of an angel. And it's easy to think this sometimes. You think when life is difficult or when you're struggling to hear from God or whatever it might be, you might think, God, if only God would move very supernaturally in a way that was completely obvious to me, angel, maybe a pillar of fire, something like that, then, then I would believe everything and I would feel great. But actually, that doesn't bear out at all throughout the history of God's people the human heart is broken. It is desperate for God. But we can't often see him when he's right up close. So Luke carries on the story. The angel actually answers him. And the angel introduces himself. It's fantastic. The angel says, this is my name. This is where I live and this is my job. It's like we all do. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, which is quite an address. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So the silence is broken, the silence is restored. It's quite a moment. An amazing thing has been revealed to Zechariah. You're going to have a son. You are. You're going to have a boy. But his lack of faith actually is a bit of a problem. It's a bit of a problem. And Gabriel, this angel, okay, decides to solve the problem. I think he's worried, like, I think Zechariah's going to talk himself out of this. Actually, what's he going to say when he gets home to Elizabeth? Right, okay, well, I've been talking to an angel, and he says, we're going to have kids, so what should we do? Okay, he's going to talk himself into trouble. But actually, he decides to solve the problem by restoring the silence. Now, it's a sign to Zechariah, actually, Every time he tries to speak, every time he tries to communicate, every time he tries to say what's happened to him or say what's going on, he can't. And he remembers, God, oh, that angel made me quiet. 
It also prevents Zechariah from messing everything up as well. His silence means he can't tell anyone anything. And actually, when he leaves the holy place, he's only making gestures. He's actually playing the first recorded game of charades at Christmas to all of these people trying to explain. There was an angel. I don't know what he was doing. An angel visited me in there, and they they can't work out what's going on. They think he's seen a vision, but that's it. He cannot say a word, completely mute. Even when he goes home to Elizabeth, he cannot explain. God has spoken Silence is broken for us. We're going to become a family. Uh, The people of God, we're going to hear from God again. God is on the move. He cannot say a word. And Luke carries on. Verse 24, he says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Elizabeth falls pregnant and hides. It says she falls pregnant and hides for five months. She is so overwhelmed by what God has done, by broken silence, that she just hides. And in her hiding, she is worshipping God. It's a very different reaction to a move of God than Zechariah, who goes with scepticism. Elizabeth decides to cut herself off and just be between uh, just it, her and God so she can worship. And she is thanking God. And she's thanking God because she's not going to be an outsider anymore. No longer an outsider. She's no longer someone who, when they saw her, would go, oh, poor Elizabeth, she can't have a baby, you know. Did you know that? All of that stuff is over. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth, actually, they, they encountered God. They are hearing God. They are seeing him move in dramatic ways. Neither of them really have much idea how to react. They are unprepared. One doubts, the other hides. And I just love that God picks these two people, actually. And they're, de- they're, they're described as righteous and blameless and, and as good people. And yet they react in very human ways. Clearly godly, clearly terrified. Clearly a bit insecure as well about what people are going to say. What, what is going to happen to the, the kind of their social circle? What's this going to mean for their lives? Preoccupied with what happens to them. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, this saviour is going to come. He's going to save all of creation. Oh, how does that affect me? It's very human. The silence is broken again. And the silence is broken with John being born. And birth of babies is not a silent thing. And brand new babies are not silent things. And the neighbours and the relatives are there. They rejoice. They gather. It's a party. And then John is eight days old. He's not called John yet, but we know he's going to be called John. He's eight days old. And they gather to circumcise him. It's an important part of Jewish life to circumcise him, which says he is set apart. It's a sign the people of God are different to the rest of humanity, they are set apart, they are God's people, and they're doing this and they, they want to name him, so they're going to name him Zechariah because that's his dad's name. His dad hasn't said anything in at least nine months, uh, and so they're just assuming we'll name him after his dad. It's a very big moment. And then Elizabeth says, and remember, nobody's told her this, Zechariah hasn't told her this. She says, No, no, he should be called John. And there's confusion. Why John? There's no one in your family called John. Why have you picked John? So they start waving at Zechariah. And they hand him a, a kind of a tablet, not an iPad, like a, something with chalk. Okay? And he writes on it. And they, what are you going to call him? And Zechariah writes, his name is John. And he'd been silent for months. And I wonder if in his silence, people had stopped kind of talking to him. I wonder if actually after a while, he just found himself slipping to the edge 
of his social circle because he couldn't talk back. I wonder if actually in that moment he discovered what it was like to be his wife when she was with the the other women who had kids. They just slowly stopped talking to her about their own experiences. She had less in common. She found herself moving to the edges. And I wonder if Zechariah experienced the same thing in his silence. And Luke carries on. We go to verse 64. And it says, John, uh, Zechariah immediately opened his mouth and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Again, the silence is broken. And what does he do in the silence here? Well, actually, he tells us the Christmas story, just as we would know it, of God actually finally breaking his silence, bringing salvation. And Zechariah prophesies what this means. And we're going to read this together. Luke 1, 67 and 79 says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied and said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then I like to think at this moment, he picked up his son, John. He says, and you, child, looking at his little kid as he prays, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our gods, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Suddenly this family, and they're now a family, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, they find themselves in the middle of God's incredible plan for the whole world. Their life has turned around quite something in the last year, hasn't it? In their failings, their scepticism, their fear, in their normalness, in their slight position of being on the edge, but also in their faithfulness, they find themselves now as a family that is pointing towards Jesus. And this Jesus, as Zechariah describes, will bring salvation will show mercy, will forgive us our sins. Not only that, will defeat death as well. Even as Zechariah prays this, he's not saying, look, this is probably going to be the next king. He'll lead some sort of uprising. He's saying, this person will deal with the human heart, that fear and uh, that scepticism that I felt, that deep sense of humanity uh, that has kind of held me back, limited my worldview. Actually, Jesus is going to come and forgive that. And then he's going to deal with the death as well that hangs over us, the shadow of death that we know. Jesus comes and deals with those things. In a strange way, we are actually a bit like Zechariah, Elizabeth and John. We're a bit like that family. In a funny way, we still live in a silence of sort. We are waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting actually for him to come back and complete the work that he has started to finish the advance of his kingdom. We see God on the move in lots of different ways, but we also see extreme suffering and war and death and all of the things that we want to end, that Jesus wants to end. 
We are waiting for him to come back to fix all creation, to bring humanity actually back into relationship with God. And perhaps as well, we sit in the silence of unanswered prayer, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Perhaps we sit in the silence of of broken relationships or unfulfilled hope, whatever it might be. Perhaps you feel that silence like you're waiting for God to do something, waiting for him to restore. And actually, like Zechariah, Elizabeth and John, we are given new purpose. And that purpose is to point people to Jesus.